intraoperative irrigation, fluid administration and management amidst conflicting evidence. By Sandra B. Lindahl. Abstract. Surgeons use irrigation during open cavity procedures to improve their view of the patient's anatomy and to reduce the patient's risk of infection. However, there are no standard guidelines that recommend a specific type of fluid, additive, or volume of irrigation to use during open procedures. Intraoperative hypothermia can occur if irrigation fluids have not been warmed or have cooled before use, causing adverse patient outcomes. In addition, failing to manage, for example, measure and document, fluid volume accurately may affect clinical decision-making and cause other complications. Perioperative personnel should evaluate new technologies that may improve the efficiency and accuracy of irrigation temperature and volume measurements. More research is needed to develop standardized practice guidelines for intraoperative irrigation and fluid management. Surgeons use fluid irrigation during open procedures primarily to clear tissue debris before incision closure to decrease the risk of a surgical site infection, SSI, which can increase a patient's hospital stay by at least seven days. Irrigation also assists the surgeon with examining the surgical cavity and hydrating the surrounding tissue. Additionally, irrigation can be used to deliver antibiotics or antiseptics to tissue in the surgical cavity. Historically, surgeons have administered irrigation fluids using a variety of methods, for example, pitcher, bulb syringe. The use of intraoperative fluid irrigation to clean the abdominal cavity during trauma procedures is a prudent practice that physicians have employed for more than a century. Joseph Price advocated for the use of sterile water for intraoperative peritoneal lavage in 1905. In 1911, Joseph King claimed that one of his colleagues, Franz Torek, used peritoneal saline lavage to reduce the mortality rate of patients with peritonitis from approximately 100% to 33%. At approximately that same time, other physicians began questioning the usefulness of intraoperative peritoneal lavage, highlighting the potential risk of spreading infection in the peritoneal cavity. Some physicians abandoned the practice until the 1950s, when a resurgence occurred because of a seminal article by W. Emery Burnett on the treatment of peritonitis using peritoneal lavage. Since then, researchers continue to debate this practice including which fluids to use and under what circumstances. According to a survey of perioperative nurses, surgeons most frequently use normal saline irrigation during operative and other invasive procedures. Normal saline with antibiotic additives, for example, baxitracin, polymyxin, neomycin, vancomycin, gentamicin, was the second most commonly used irrigation reported. However, there is conflicting evidence regarding the use of fluid irrigation during surgical procedures involving open cavities. Intraoperative Irrigation – A History of the Evidence Before the World Health Organization, WHO, launched its Global Guidelines on the Prevention of SSIs in November 2016, there were no international evidence-based guidelines available for the prevention of SSIs. 
The WHO guidelines considered incisional irrigation as a strategy to reduce the risk of SSIs, but there was insufficient evidence to recommend for or against the use of normal saline irrigation before incision closure for the purpose of preventing SSIs. Likewise, there is limited research addressing intraoperative irrigation and a lack of guidance and standardization on irrigation fluid and solution types, volumes, and methods of delivery in perioperative practice. The current extant research on the open irrigation of surgical cavities comprises the following topics. 1. Comparing irrigation use with no irrigation. 2. Evaluating the types of fluids commonly used for manual open irrigation, for example, normal saline, sterile water. 3. Exploring the potential relationship between non-heated fluid and patient temperature. 4. Evaluating the prevalence of SSIs when comparing irrigation using saline with irrigation using saline plus additives, for example, antibiotics, antiseptics. And 5. Investigating the effect of intraoperative irrigation on cancer and local recurrence. Using Irrigation Fluids A study published in 2017 found that distilled water and isotonic saline were both effective irrigation fluids for open fractures of the lower extremities. There were no significant differences in SSI rates or healing rates between them. The same year, a systematic review analyzed 20 randomized control trials with a total of 7,192 participants undergoing surgical procedures that included the use of intraoperative irrigation before closing the surgical cavity. Among the reviewed studies was research that compared irrigation use with no irrigation, antibacterial irrigation with non-antibacterial irrigation, and different antibiotic and antiseptic additives for irrigation. The researchers concluded that they could not identify a significant difference in the risk of SSIs when comparing procedures that included irrigation with procedures that did not include irrigation. Their conclusion differed from that of a previous review, in which the authors found a significant reduction in SSIs when comparing abdominal procedures that included irrigation, that is, with normal saline, topical antibiotic solutions, or povidone iodine solutions, with abdominal procedures that did not include irrigation. Irrigation with Antibiotic or Antiseptic Additives The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has expressed uncertainty on the subject of antibiotic irrigation solutions and therefore offers no recommendation regarding their use. However, the WHO recommends not using antibiotic irrigation for the purpose of preventing SSIs. A consensus of experts from the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence advises against the addition of topical antibiotics to irrigation solutions. Experts at the American College of Surgeons offer limited insight into or recommendations on the practice. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and WHO Guidelines for Preventing SSIs suggest using an antiseptic agent, for example, dilute povidone iodine, rather than an antibiotic, as an additive to intraoperative irrigation solution. Before 2009, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, 
FDA, had only approved medical irrigating devices that used normal saline or sterile water without the addition of antibiotics or antiseptics for irrigation. In 2009, the FDA approved a surgical lavage system containing a low concentration, that is, 0.05%, of chlorhexidine glutinate in sterile water for irrigation. It is important not only to keep abreast of changes to recommendations from government-based organizations, but also to review the evidence that supports these guideline changes. Irrigation Fluid Volume Until recently, there was a lack of research on the volume of irrigation fluid used in open procedures. Evidence exists to support several volume recommendations for various reasons. The recommended irrigation volume has averaged as high as 25 to 30 liters. In 2018, researchers published a randomized prospective clinical trial investigating the use of intra-abdominal irrigation in the trauma setting. They focused on comparing the different volumes of irrigation used in laparotomy patients to determine the optimal amount needed to prevent SSIs, eviscerations, and fistulas, and to reduce 30-day mortality rates in trauma patients. Researchers randomly assigned patients with evidence of intra-abdominal injuries and undergoing exploratory laparotomy to one of three intra-abdominal irrigation volume groups, 5 liters, 10 liters, and 20 liters, demographic and other specific variables, for example, mechanism of injury, degree of contamination, were comparable between the groups. The researchers followed the participants for 30 days postoperatively and noted a slight trend toward increased incidence of deep SSIs, that is, intra-abdominal abscesses, in the 20-liter group compared with the 5-liter and 10-liter groups. They found no difference in mortality rates among the randomized groups and no difference in complication rates between patients who received 5 liters or 10 liters of intra-abdominal irrigation. The researchers propose that 5 liters is sufficient for the effluent. However, more research is needed to explore whether an excessive volume of irrigation fluid can potentially harm the patient and whether there is a need for more accurate volume measurement. Irrigation Fluid Temperature Although researchers who conducted a 2015 systematic review found that warmed IV fluids slightly increased patients' core body temperatures intraoperatively, they did not find a statistically significant difference in the body temperatures of patients given warmed irrigation fluids compared with those who received room-temperature irrigation fluids. However, other studies have found that irrigating with room-temperature fluid may contribute to perioperative hypothermia. A review of studies involving arthroscopy procedures found that warming irrigation fluids for shoulder and hip arthroscopies allows patients to maintain a higher body temperature and reduces the risk for intraoperative hypothermia and postoperative shivering. The AORN, Guideline for Prevention of Hypothermia, recommends the use of warm irrigation fluids as a method for actively warming the patient. Perioperative hypothermia Up to 70% of patients in the OR experience perioperative hypothermia, which is generally defined as a core body temperature of less than 36 degrees Celsius, 96.8 degrees Fahrenheit. 
During the first hour after induction with general anesthesia, core body temperature can decrease by 0.5 to 1.5 degrees Celsius, 0.9 to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Patients who experience even mild perioperative hypothermia, that is, between 34 and 36 degrees Celsius, 93.2 and 96.8 degrees Fahrenheit, can be susceptible to peripheral vasoconstrictor responses, that is, thermoregulatory vasoconstriction, that decrease tissue oxygen levels and increase immunosuppression. These responses can increase patient susceptibility to adverse outcomes. For example, SSIs. Adverse Effects of Hypothermia Perioperative hypothermia can cause prolonged medication metabolism and increased cardiac morbidity, blood loss, and transfusion requirements. A meta-analysis and systematic review of published randomized control trials found that even mild hypothermia significantly increases blood loss by 16%, and the relative risk for transfusion by 22%. A 2012 study found a relationship between perioperative hypothermia and pressure injuries. Surgical patients who experienced a 0.56 degrees Celsius, 1 degree Fahrenheit, drop in temperature were 20.2% more likely to develop a pressure injury. Hypothermia also has been shown to alter the effects of medications used in the OR. Because both hepatic and renal blood flow are diminished in patients with hypothermia, metabolism and medication excretion is diminished and medication plasma levels remain higher, thus resulting in increased and prolonged medication effects. Even mild hypothermia can prolong the time needed for medication to metabolize, resulting in delayed awakening and a longer stay for the patient in the post-anesthesia care unit. Perioperative hypothermia elevates blood pressure, heart rate, and plasma catecholamine concentrations. A study of 300 patients undergoing abdominal, thoracic, or vascular procedures found a 55% reduction in the risk of morbid cardiac events and a 5.5% reduction in postoperative ventricular tachycardia when normothermia was maintained. Hypothermia may increase the risk of SSIs because cooler core temperatures impair the patient's neutrophil function and also may trigger thermoregulatory vasoconstriction, resulting in tissue hypoxia and reduced immune system effectiveness. Hypothermia is associated with a three-fold increase in SSIs in colorectal surgery patients. Managing Fluid Volume and Temperature the surgical team should help patients maintain fluid volume and normothermia during operative and other invasive procedures. Managing fluid irrigation volume requires a team effort to ensure documentation accuracy and identify trends in patient outcomes during open surgical procedures. The RN circulator should conduct a patient risk assessment for hypothermia, including a review of the patient's nutritional status, skin, pre-existing medical conditions, and surgical history. Maintaining fluid temperature. Perioperative personnel may warm irrigation fluids to 33 to 40 degrees Celsius, 91.4 to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. The scrub person can monitor the temperature of the fluid and communicate any deviation to the RN circulator. 
Warming cabinets. If the orange circulator is retrieving fluids from a warming cabinet, see Figure 1, he or she should follow multiple steps to ensure the safety and efficacy of the fluid, such as confirming the solution manufacturer's instructions for use regarding the temperature of the warming cabinet and length of time that solutions may remain in the warming cabinet. Warming cabinets should be equipped with an alarm that is triggered if the temperature rises above or falls below the specified range. If a staff member removes fluid directly from a warming cabinet in which the temperature is set too high and uses it immediately, it is possible to burn the patient's tissue, resulting in multiple sequelae. According to many facilities' policies, when removing the fluid container from the warming cabinet, the RN circulator should ensure the expiration date has not passed and the fluid is safe to use. If the fluid is poured into an unwarmed basin on the sterile field, it should be removed from the cabinet as close to the time of use as possible because fluid has been found to cool fairly quickly. According to a 2017 performance improvement poster, the temperature of warmed irrigation fluids is consistently administered below normal body temperature. The poster authors recorded a fluid temperature of 35 degrees Celsius, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Upon removing the fluid from the cabinet and a temperature of 33.02 degrees Celsius, 91.44 degrees Fahrenheit, after pouring the fluid into an open container on the sterile field. The authors measured the temperature of the fluid again at the first use during the procedure and found the temperature had further dropped to 27.76 degrees Celsius, 81.97 degrees Fahrenheit. If warming cabinets are located outside the OR, it may be necessary for the RN circulator to leave the room several times to retrieve warm irrigation fluids during the procedure. This increase in activity in door openings also can increase air turbulence and affect the airflow in the room, which may lead to a higher risk for SSIs. Warming Basins Open basin irrigation warmers allow personnel to maintain fluids at a known temperature throughout a procedure. See Figure 2. Although there is a risk of airborne particles contaminating irrigation fluid contained in an uncovered basin, the AORN, Guideline for Sterile Technique, advises that items that are part of the surgical field be positioned within the unidirectional ultra-clean air delivery system's airflow curtain. The high-speed airflow will sweep most of the bacteria, lint, and dust in the air away from the surgical field before it can settle. Because warming basins allow personnel to keep fluids at an appropriate temperature for the patient, using a basin may help decrease OR traffic and the need for the RN circulator to leave the OR. Measuring Fluid Volume Team communication and collaboration are key to determine the patient's fluid balance and improve the overall quality of patient care. In collaboration with the RN circulator, the anesthesia professional should monitor the amount of fluid dispensed and collected during the procedure. Estimating the fluid deficit can be difficult for the surgical team. Careful measurement of intake and output is essential, and communication among team members regarding fluid irrigation during the procedure can decrease the patient's risk of complications. The RN circulator should collaborate with the scrub person 
to ensure the accuracy of the volume of irrigation fluids delivered to the sterile field and used during the procedure. Traditional methods for monitoring the amount of fluid administered involve counting the number of containers of fluid distributed, multiplying by the volume in each container, and subtracting the remainder in the basin along with what is collected in the suction canisters. Inaccurate measurements can result because fluid bags can be overfilled or underfilled by up to 10%, and suction canister measurements can also vary in either direction. Inaccuracy in accounting for fluid used also can result when the RN circulator tries to estimate the volume of spillage that has occurred on the drapes and floors or that has been collected on discarded sponges. Although calculating the amount of spillage is practiced as an estimation, knowing the exact amount of fluid dispensed and the amount collected in the suction canister will promote increased accuracy. Perioperative personnel may use a closed container system to collect the returned fluid and add the amount in the container to an estimate of the fluid remaining in the bag or bottle and on the drapes, floor, and saturated sponges, and then subtract the total from the volume instilled. When assessing the suction canisters, it is difficult to know how much of it is returned fluid because the contents also may include blood loss during the procedure. Personnel generally only estimate blood loss by weighing sponges. The current practice in most ORs is for the anesthesia professional to estimate blood loss without the assistance of technology. However, the accuracy of this method is unknown. Visual estimation of blood loss may be inaccurate. Underestimating blood loss may result in inadequate fluid and blood resuscitation, which is associated with shock, organ damage, myocardial infarction, and impaired tissue oxygenation. Use of blood loss estimates alone for making clinical decisions requires additional advances in technology to provide accurate measurements. To enhance patient safety, the RN circulator should accurately document fluid irrigation and record the type of solution, any additives, and the volume dispensed and collected. New Technologies The perioperative team can collaborate with industry partners to evaluate new technologies available for measuring irrigation fluid volume, monitoring irrigation fluid temperatures, and promoting accurate documentation. New irrigation fluid warming technology includes a temperature display that indicates when the fluid is too warm to instill. New technology also can offer rapid warming, potentially eliminating the need to store and manage the temperature and inventory of fluids in warming cabinets. Perioperative nurses should be aware of these new technologies and help evaluate and select new products that are cost-effective and environmentally friendly and will promote safe care at their facilities. Although automated infusion pumps for minimally invasive surgery and endoscopic procedures calculate the amount of irrigation fluid dispensed to the patient and compare it with the amount returned, the same system is not available for open surgical irrigation. However, there are fluid management systems that measure the volume removed from the basin warmer without requiring the RN circulator and scrub person to count irrigation bags or bottles. This may save personnel time by eliminating the need to estimate the volume administered, check warming cabinets daily for expiration dates, ensure that expired irrigation fluid is not used, and label each fluid container before placing it in the warming cabinet. 
Additionally, display screens visible on two sides of a warming basin may allow more OR team members to monitor the patient's fluid volume and the temperature of the irrigation fluid and the RN circulator to document the amount of instilled fluid more accurately. Careful documentation in the electronic medical record may allow future researchers to assess correlations between irrigation fluid volume and patient outcomes. Additional studies on fluid irrigation and open surgical procedures may help clinical experts develop evidence-based guidelines for the types and quantities of solution to be used during specific procedures to ensure the best possible patient outcomes. Conclusion Surgeons commonly employ irrigation during open cavity procedures to remove tissue debris and view anatomical structures more clearly and because it may prevent SSIs. However, there are no standard guidelines for fluid type, additives, delivery method, or volume of irrigation. Intraoperative hypothermia can occur if fluids used for intraoperative irrigation have not been warmed or have cooled off too quickly before installation. In addition, inaccurate measurement and documentation of fluid volume may affect clinical decision-making and lead to complications. More research is needed to develop sound standardized practice guidelines for intraoperative irrigation fluid management during open procedures. Perioperative nurses can play an important role in evaluating new technologies that may facilitate additional research in this field.